Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you heard, but there's a virus that's going around. Yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but I'm not talking about the coronavirus. No, I'm talking about a virus that is much more far spread. It is the virus of fear and anxiety and worry. Of course, there's a lot to be concerned about, about the present medical crisis, and yet fear is much more rampant. One prominent psychologist said this, that worry is one of the most urgent problems of our day. I just saw a study that 75% of Americans are now fearful and worried about their finances. They're worried about their retirement. They're worried about if they're going to have a job or not. And even before the coronavirus, America was filled with anxiety. Check this out, that we are more anxious today than we have been in any time in U.S. history. Last year, we were 40 times percent more higher in anxiety than we were the year before that. And the year before that, we were 36 times more anxious than the year before that. Americans today feel more anxious than any other time in human history. Think about that. We're more anxious than people were during the Great Depression. We're more anxious today than people were during World War II. Even though circumstantially things are not as bad, we think they're worse. Folks, think about this. Our grandparents, they had to fight a war in Nazism. All we got to do is stay home and sit on the couch. I think we could do this. And yet we are filled with worry. In fact, our society has been trained to be anxious by our media. One person put it like this. He said that worry is like a hyperactive dog in a fence in the backyard, madly racing around and around the perimeter of our skulls until it beats a dirt path upon which nothing healthy can grow. And what happens is that worry, whenever it takes root, it has all the worst case scenarios. You play this what if game. Well, what if? I mean, well, what if? What if I lose my job? What if I can't pay the bills? What if I, you know, lose my house? And what does worry do? Worry is the fear that the worst case scenario is going to come true. But today, I'm going to teach you how to reverse anxiety. Today, I'm going to teach you how to reverse worry from the Word of God. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. And then also, we provide these Bible study outlines for you where you can follow along and take notes. Maybe you've never taken notes before. This is a message that you want to take notes on, okay? And so what we're going to learn today from the Bible is we're going to learn how to reverse anxiety. We're going to literally learn how we can retrain our mind and our bodies not to worry, but to be peaceful. Look at how the Apostle Paul puts this in Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse 6. Paul says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what we all want? We want the peace of God. We want God's supernatural peace to guard our hearts and guard our minds. But the only way that's ever going to happen is if you follow God's plan for peace. The Apostle Paul gives us the steps to reverse anxiety and experience peace. And so I want you to jot them down in your outline. There's four of them. Number one, first of all, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Notice how the Apostle Paul starts this passage off in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. In your Bible, circle the word anxious there. It literally means don't worry. Now you may go, well, that's fine for you to say don't worry. I got plenty of things to worry about. Well, so do I. I got worries, you got worries, all God's children got worries. What are some of those worries? Well, for some of you, if you're a student, maybe it's your grades and it's school. And you know, you've been, you know, doing online classes and maybe it's not tracking well with you and, and maybe you're, you're, you have a concept that you're not getting and you're worried, how's this school year going to end? Or maybe for you, it is your finances and you're wondering, I mean, the stock market keeps crashing. I mean, businesses are going under, layoffs are happening, am I going to be next? Or maybe it's your kids, right? You're around them all the time and they're driving you crazy. <laughs> or maybe... You're around them all the time, and you realize you don't have a relationship with them anymore. And you realize, you know what? I'm not influencing them. I wonder who is influencing them. And we have all these worries in our mind, and the more we worry, next thing you know, we get a headache. And then what do we do? Oh, my goodness, I got a headache. Maybe I got a brain tumor, right? We worry and worry and worry. Paul said, don't worry. About what? Look at it again, verse 6. He said, do not worry. Do not be anxious about, look at it, anything. Don't worry about anything. What does that mean? That means don't freak out about that test and schooling. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about the job layoff. Don't worry about it. You see, for many of you, you've allowed worry and anxiety to steal from you. It is a tool from Satan to destroy your faith and crush your spirit and steal your joy. One person put it like this. Worry can't change the past. Worry can't control the future. Worry can only ruin the present. And so what's the cure? What is it? Well, what I love about the Bible is that any time in the Bible that the Bible tells you something not to do, it always gives you something in place for you to do. And so it's the second thing I want you to see on your outline. Number two is this. Jot this down. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Paul says replace worry with prayer. Look at it in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You want the peace of God? Paul tells you how. He says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. Instead, what are you supposed to do? Prayer. You're supposed to have prayer. You go, well, what's prayer? Prayer is just simply talking to God. Just like I'm talking to you, just like you talk with your friends, you just talk to God. And you say, God, here's my worries, here's my concerns. In fact, Paul says through prayer and supplication. That's a real interesting word. It literally means to cry out. It's talking about emotionally. 
You see, a lot of us, when we pray, we just give God our mental list. Okay, God, I want you to do this, or God, could you handle that, right? But no, supplication means you're crying out. If your prayer doesn't hit the emotional core of your life, you're not going to experience God's peace. And so when you pray, you've literally got to cry out to God. God, here it is. But here's the problem with a lot of us. Prayer is our last resort. Many of us really haven't learned how to pray. I mean, you've heard people say this before, right? They they say, well, I guess all we got left now is to do is pray. What? Can you imagine God up in heaven going, oh, no, all you got left to do is pray? All you got left is me? Oh, no, your life is ruined. No, no, no. Prayer is not your last resort. Prayer is always your first line of offense. You know what the Bible promises you? The Bible promises you that whenever you pray, you can come boldly before the throne of God to find help in your time of need. The Bible says that whenever you pray, you have not because you ask not. That when you pray, you're talking to your heavenly Father. That literally, you get an audience with the King of the universe, and He is Abba Father to you. Pray. And when you pray, you know what happens? You know what? Your Abba Father, Daddy, it moves Him. But listen to me. Prayer doesn't just move God. He's affected by our prayer. But listen, prayer changes you. Did you know that? Prayer actually changes you. For years, people used to think that our brain was static, right? That didn't really change. But now, science tells us that our brain is changing all the time. It's rewiring itself all the time through new neural pathways. And basically what they've discovered is that whenever you think a thought and you develop a neural pathway, it's easier to think that thought a second time and a third time. And that's good news if you're thinking good thoughts. But it's bad news if you're always thinking worried thoughts. There was a study done by this lady, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And she studied the brain and the change of the brain. And she wrote her findings in this book called Switch on Your Brain. And she made this discovery. She said this, quote, She says, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period of time can change the brain to such an extent that it could be measured on a brain scan. That's crazy. Literally, your brain changes when you pray. God wants to change you. Yes, he's touched by prayer, but you're changed by prayer. Now, let me explain how do you do that. Right? I mean, how is it that we are to pray whenever we got worries? Well, it's simply this. In the middle of the night, there are those things that wake us up, right? Last week, three different times, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning. My mind was racing with all these anxious thoughts. What do you do with all those anxious thoughts? What do you do? Well, let me explain. I have here a box. I'm going to call this my God box, okay? Now, let me just quickly say, you can't put God in a box, and God is much bigger than this box, okay? This is just for illustrative purposes. But then, what do you have? You have these anxieties. you got these things in your life that you're worried about. Now, most of us, what do we do? We try to play God, and we try to handle that on our own. And we try to take care of all these things on our own, and Paul says, stop doing that. Stop worrying about these things. Instead of worrying about them, you cry out to God and you release them to the Lord. So let me explain how you do that. Let's just say that you have a child, right? And you're a 17-year-old son, and he's making some bad decisions. 
So what do you do? You say, God, I can't control him, and so I'm just going to release him to you. Or maybe it is your finances, and you're wondering about your your job and these bills, and how am I going to handle things? And so you say, God, I can't control the the economy. God, I'm going to release this to you. Or or maybe it's your health. Maybe you're fearful of the coronavirus, or, or you're fearful about some health issue. You go, okay, God, I can't handle that. I can't predict that. But what I can do is I can release that to you. Or maybe you get some relationship, and maybe it's a marriage relationship, and you try, and it's not working out, and you have that relationship, and you say, God, I can't control this person. God, I'm going to release that person to you. Or maybe it's just the future. I don't know what the future is. Well, guess what? You can't control the future, but you can trust the one who's in control, right? And so what do you do? You give them to the Lord. You lay them down. You say, God, here they are. God, I'm releasing these to you. Now, I have a basic philosophy of how I try to live my life. And I've put these on your outline. It's just the basic, simple principles, but you'll understand them. The first one is this. I'm going to do what I can do, right? Just because you're a prayerful person doesn't mean that you're a passive person. No, I'm going to do what I can do. If, you know what, you got a test, then what do you do? You pray about it, sure, but then you study and study and you study some more, right? You don't become passive, you do what you can do. Or maybe you've got a health issue. And what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to pray about it, but I'm also going to um, eat right, exercise, see good doctors. I'm going to do what I can do. Or or maybe it's finances, okay? How do I handle my finances, okay? I'm going to pray about it, but then I'm going to make myself a budget, and I'm going to spend less than what I bring in. Novel idea. It really works, right? But I'm going to do what I can do. So I'm going to do what I can do. I'm not going to be passive. But then the second thing is, is I'm going to give God what I can't do. I'm going to give God what I can't do. I'm going to lay these things down. Why? Because, you know, I can't control the future, but God does. I can't, you know, control people. But God does. I, I, I can't heal cancer, but God can. And so those things that are outside of my control, I say, God, they're yours. I, I, I can't handle this. I'm giving them to you, and God hasn't designed you to handle those things. But then this third thing is critical. Do what I can do. I'm going to give God what I can't do. But number three, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to trust God no matter what. Now, this is where we often falter. That whenever God's not working on our time frame, what do we start doing? We go, well, God's not obviously working this out. So we grab these things, these worries back out, and we try to start handling them on our own. And if you are a worrier and you often worry, then you know what you may have to do? You may have to do this a dozen times a day until finally you have developed a new neural pathway where you trust God rather than worry. Now, what I love about the Bible is that the Bible gives you something to do once you've laid down your worries to God. See, the Apostle Paul knows that our brain is never in just neutral, and it's never void of thoughts. We're going to think something. And so once you've laid down your worries to God, Paul then tells us what we're to do do next. It's the third thing I want you to jot down. Number three is this. Jot this down. Give thanks in all things. Give thanks in all things. Now, again, think about what Paul's done here. Paul says, don't be anxious. In everything, pray, and then what does he say? You are to be thankful. Check it out. Look at it again, verse 6. He says this, 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that's crying out, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In your Bible, circle the word thanksgiving. Now, this past November, we did an entire series on gratitude. It was called 21 Days of Thankfulness. Some of you may need to go back and check that series out. And during this series, I told you about a landmark um, study done by this guy, Dr. Robert Emmons, professor of psychology at University of California, Davis. He's done 20 years of research on the effects of gratitude and thankfulness. And what they discovered is that the attitude of gratitude and thankfulness is like the magic bullet. The magic bullet for us spiritually, it's the magic bullet for us emotionally, it's the magic bullet for us physically. And so they said, what you need to do is you need to take a 21-day challenge, a thankfulness challenge. What does that mean? That means for 21 days, you take 15 minutes a day. And what do you do? You write down all the things you're grateful for people that you're grateful for, things that you're thankful for. And you express those in gratitude to God, or maybe you email or you text people or you write thank you notes and you maintain an attitude of gratitude. And they said that if you'll do that for 21 days, your life has changed. In fact, check out the benefits of gratitude. I've put this on your outline, but check out the benefits of gratitude. You will experience greater happiness, lasting relationships, better health, fewer aches and pains, better sleep, more alertness and determination, decreased stress, anxiety, and depression. Now, we see all that and we go, this is too good to be true. Well, this is exactly what the Bible predicted. Look at it. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A joyful heart is good medicine. Science has finally caught up with the Bible. If you have an attitude of gratitude, it changes you. You want peace from God, you've got to have a thankful spirit. If you don't, it's going to steal the joy from your life. Thanksgiving is the key. You see, listen to me. Negative emotions like fear, anxiety, worry, anger, they cannot coexist with thankfulness. Take the 21-day challenge of thankfulness and see how God will work. Now, I know there's a lot of things that you can worry about. But you know what? There's more things that you can be thankful about. It's true. You are too blessed to be stressed. Yes, there are things that you can worry about, but there's a lot more things in your life that you can be grateful about. And so choose to be grateful. And so follow Paul's progression. One, don't be anxious. Two, release those worries to God in prayer. Three, choose to be thankful for what you do have. Then you go, what about all the rest of the thoughts? Paul gives us the key. Number four, jot this down. Focus your mind on what's good. Focus your mind on what is good. Focus on those things that are good and right and positive in your life. Notice how Paul puts this. Philippians 4, 8. You ought to memorize this verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See that phrase, think about these things? That is a command from God. If you're a Christian, God commands you to think about those kind of things. Now, the problem with a lot of us as Christians is that we're passive thinkers, right? And we would just go through life, la, 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 and we just, whatever pops in our mind, we just assume that it's true, and we become passive thinkers. We just don't think about what we're thinking about. I mean, think about it this. 
I mean, when you brush your teeth, right? You've brushed your teeth so many times, you don't even have to think about it anymore. That's why sometimes in the middle of the morning you go, did I brush my teeth? And you go, hmm, oh yeah, I did, okay, yeah, right? Well, why? Because we're passive thinkers, and that's what we do with life. We just go through life, and we, we, we put our brain in neutral, and whatever mentally comes into our brain, we just assume that it's true, even though most thoughts are not. There was a study done by the Cleveland um, Clinic of Wellness, and they discovered this, that 80% of our thoughts are negative. Did you hear that? 80% of your thoughts are negative? On average, we have about 60,000 thoughts a day. That means that you have 48,000 negative thoughts every day. Think about that. No wonder you're so depressed. No wonder you're so anxious because you have all those negative thoughts all the time. And Paul commands us, no, don't think those kind of thoughts. Think Philippians 4, 8 kind of thoughts. Eight things Paul commends us to think on. Look at it again. He says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Now, why do we need to intentionally think on these things? I'll tell you why. Because we live in such a negative age. I mean, you just turn on the news, you're going to get depressed and anxious. During this season of time, I have limited myself to five minutes of news a day. I'll watch the weather and five minutes of news. Why? Because anything more than that, I start getting anxious So what am I going to do? I'm going to choose to focus on the positive. I'm not going to just look at the smog. No, I'm going to look at the sunrises and sunsets. I'm not just going to focus on the thorns. No, I'm going to see the beauty of the flowers. Now, again, I'm not saying that you just stick your head in the sand and act like everything's fine and have this Pollyanna kind of mindset. Yeah, there's a lot of negative things going going on out there right now. There are. I get that. But you know what? There's a lot more positive things that are out there. I mean, that's true about everything of your life. Everything in your life always has negative and always has positive. I mean, think about your marriage. Every marriage has negative things about it. Every marriage. But every marriage also has positive things. Choose to focus on the positive things. Every job has negative things. But every job also has positive things. Focus on the positive things. See, God has given you a wonderful gift. It's the gift of choice. I love this quote. Life will give you lemons, but you don't have to suck on them, right? I love that. You know, Jesus said a very similar thing in John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but cheer up. I've overcome the world. And yet so many Christians do exactly the opposite. They focus on the troubles. They focus on the bad reports. Do you know that's how you turn a negative molehill into a mountain, by accepting and believing one negative thought at a time. And what eventually happens, you got this huge mountain of negativity. You know what you need to stop doing? Stop focusing and believing all the negative dirt that's in your life. Focus on the positive things, as the Apostle Paul said. Many of you may have heard of Viktor Frankl. He survived a Nazi concentration camp. And he said this. He said, first they took away our homes... And then they took away our possessions. Then they took away our families. And then they took away our clothes. And then they took away our dignity. And they even took away our names and tattooed a number on us. But I discovered something. There was one thing that could not be taken away from me. He made this amazing discovery. Look at what he said. Quote, everything can be taken from a man. But one thing, 
the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. You have been given the free gift of choice. You can choose what you think on. Paul says, focus on these positive things. In fact, he ends that list with what? He says, if there's anything worthy of praise, set your mind on those things. I think one of the most powerful ways of changing your thoughts and your emotions is through praise. Paul says, praise the Lord. I mean, think about it. Remind yourself, where was the Apostle Paul when he wrote this letter? He was in a Roman prison. I mean, he was, he was strapped to the wall. It was rat infested. It smelled like a sewer. I mean, Paul could have focused on a lot of bad things, painful things, difficult things. But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. You remember on another occasion whenever he was in a, another prison in Philippi? Look at what it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Look what he did. But about midnight, that means the darkest time of the night, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Don't let the difficult circumstances of life keep you from worshiping your almighty God. Paul said, I've got a choice, and I'm going to choose to pray, release those burdens down to the Lord, and I'm going to praise the Lord. And you've got the same choice. Praise is powerful. Praise does something. Praise will basically restore the joy of your salvation. Joy, I mean, praise will actually renew your mind. Joy will recalibrate your spirit. In fact, you know, praise will do something else. Praise will actually help you focus on those things that are good when everybody else focuses on things that are bad. You see, I believe that everybody fits into one of two categories. All of humanity are either warriors or they're worshipers. Everybody is either a warrior or a worshiper. And you know what? A worshiper will always find something to worship God about. But a worrier will always find something to worry about. You've got to make the choice. Folks, I know these are difficult days. But God wants you to experience his peace and his presence in these difficult times. How do you do it? Look again what the passage says. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is how you reverse your anxiety. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.